Hey everybody, welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn and uh, this is episode number 33. We're rolling through into the 30s, uh, episode 33, and this is week two of a seven-week series that we're moving through for the season of Lent. And uh, the series is called God's Not Mad. And what I'm doing is I'm kind of rereading a book uh, by a guy named Brian Zond. I read it uh, a couple of months ago, and I'm reading it again. Uh, the book is called Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. And it's kind of like a uh, kind of a play off of Jonathan Edwards' famous sermon from the 1700s called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And each week what I'm doing is I'm kind of sharing a different idea from the book and the spiderweb of ideas that that idea has created in my own brain and my own heart. The book is such an easy read. You got to go get it. Uh, link is in the show notes. Uh, but such an easy read, but it's filled like with so much rich, amazing content. And like every paragraph, it feels like just creates this mass of ideas in my brain. Uh, so I'm trying to navigate through and flesh some of that out. Um, in this series. So each week, a different idea. Uh, We are in week two. It will be a seven-week series, I think. I might tack on another one, or I might take a week off. I'm not really sure, but we will see. Uh, Anyway, um, in a couple weeks from now, I will uh, actually drop an episode where I sat down with Brian, the author of the book, and picked his brain about all sorts of different topics um, like hell, the cross, the atonement, all this crazy stuff. And uh, he dropped so much knowledge. It was a super great um, time to sit with him. So do not miss that. Uh, Before we jump into today's stuff, though, um, a few things. Number one, I have the flu right now. I have have the flu. Um, I've been feeling terrible for the last couple of days. Uh, Today's the first day I feel somewhat normal, but I went to the doctor uh, last night, and they did that, like, nose thing. The doctor's like, oh, I'm going to swipe your nose. So I thought he was going to like stick a little Q-tip in my nostril. The dude like shoved this thing so far up my nose. I thought I was going to, it was going to like hit my brain. But he goes in there, you know, swabs it around, comes back like 20 minutes later and says, yeah, you have type flu, type A flu. And he comes in, he comes in the room with like a mask on. So I'm like, this, this cannot be good. Comes in with the mask. You know, you have the flu, nothing we can do. Let it run its course. So here I am. Uh, my nose is clogged. My head is clogged. I feel like I might be yelling. I don't, I don't really know. I can't really hear myself. So um, I don't know. If I start coughing in the middle of this, I'm sorry. I'll edit it out. I'll try to anyway. But yeah, I have the flu. So it's been it's been a great time. Uh, secondly, Patreon. Uh, the What If Project podcast is now on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash whatifproject, there are a different few different tiers um, or levels of giving that you can participate in. Uh, like the first level is $3 a month. It goes up to $30 a month. Each tier has its own uh, reward or prize. Uh, so go check that out. Um, it's pretty cool. Pass it around. Secondly, uh, if you could, if you haven't already, uh, if this podcast has made any kind of impact on you, if it's encouraged you, challenged you, stretched you, even if it's made you a little bit angry, Uh, but has brought you back to a good place and you enjoy the podcast, uh, go over to iTunes, search What If Project, and uh, if you could leave a rating and a comment, that would be super helpful. I don't know exactly how it works, but I know that the more ratings the podcast has, uh, the more that plays in favor of the algorithm that allows people to find it 
uh, when they search for different things like Christianity, spirituality, Bible, whatever. So we want people to come across this thing um, so it can be helpful and beneficial to them too. So if you could, go to iTunes, Podbean, uh, Google Play, wherever it is that you're listening to this, uh, leave a rating, leave a comment. That would be um, awesome. And last thing, um, discussion group. I know that I had said last year that there would be a discussion group uh, probably for this series of Lent. We did a discussion group last fall uh, on the Gospel of Mark where we had about, I think it was like eight or ten people meet using Zoom um, every night from all around the country. And uh, we got to talk about the Gospel of Mark. And it was a really great experience. We had a lot of fun, learned some things. We were going to do a new one for Lent, uh, but I, I'm just... I can't do it right now uh, just because I'm going to be defending my dissertation in a couple weeks, so i got to get ready for that. Um, just a whole lot of things on the plate, and I wasn't going to be able to pour enough attention into that uh, in order to do it well. Uh, so stay tuned. There will be a, another discussion group coming up. Um, we'll announce that later on, uh, but know that it's coming. Keep an eye on the website, social media, and uh, I will let you know when it is live for you to sign up. So anyway, that said, this is episode number 33, and I'm calling it, We Don't Have the Right to Quote Moses, Paul, Elijah, etc. in order to shut Jesus up. Uh, We can't quote Moses to shut up Jesus. So let's talk about a bizarre story uh, from the Gospels. I wrote about this last year on my Medium blog before I had whatifproject.net. Probably go over there and still find it. I think it's like medium.com uh, slash Glenn Siepert or something like that. But it's one of this is one of those stories that no matter how many times you turn to it, no matter how many times you you look at it, turn it, relook at it, shine a different light on it, you know, again and again and again, there's always like something new to discover and something else to learn. It's it's a weird story. Uh, and it's it's about the transfiguration of Jesus, uh, the transfiguration of Jesus. So about a week prior to when this story took place, uh, Peter had declared himself, uh, his belief that, that Jesus is the Messiah. And then Jesus uttered those, you know, that famous phrase to Peter, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. And then a week later, when this story takes place, Jesus takes uh, Peter, James, and John up to a high mountain And the Bible says this, the Bible says, Jesus was transfigured before them and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could ever bleach them. And then if that's not weird enough, uh, the Bible tells us that suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus and then proceeded to have some kind of conversation with him. Uh, Now, understanding the symbolism of what's going on in this story uh, is like vital to understanding the rest of the story. Okay, so you've got Jesus, the Messiah. You've got Moses, the lawgiver, right? The guy who wrote down the Ten Commandments um, is credited with at least having a hand in the Torah, right? The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then you've got Elijah, the prophet. So Moses and Elijah appearing with Jesus on the mountain. uh, What we've got to understand is this wasn't like merely two random, big Old Testament names who happened to pay Jesus a little visit. But these were two Old Testament figures who represented two very, very important pieces of Jewish history, right? The law and the prophets. And so what we've got to remember and what we've got to realize when we read this story is that in the life of a Jew, 
everything, and I mean like everything, hinged on these two things uh, represented in these two individuals. The law and the prophets contained the commands of God, the promises of God, and the words of God. Nothing was more important. Nothing was held closer to the heart of a Jew. Nothing was more central, more sacred. And so when Moses and Elijah, uh, the law and the prophets, appear with Jesus, who Peter said was the Messiah, uh, Peter does the only thing he can think of, right? He offers to build three houses. He says, let me build three houses, one for Jesus, the Messiah, one for Moses, the law, and one for Elijah, uh, the prophets, so that the three can be comfortable, right? I mean, why else would you build them a house? I don't know, so they could be comfortable, uh, sheltered, protected, and take all the time they need to be together to discuss whatever it is that they're going to discuss. But before Peter can do anything, uh, the Bible says that a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came from the cloud and said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And then as Peter looked around, he saw nobody left except Jesus. Moses, the law, was gone. Elijah, the prophet, was gone. And only Jesus, the Messiah, was left. And so the question is like, what? this is a bizarre story, right? I mean, you've got Jesus' clothes being made white like bleach. You've got Moses and Elijah peering out of thin air. You've got Peter going, I don't know what to do, so I guess I'll just build you all a house, right? And then they disappear. And then you've got God, you know, saying from a cloud, this is my son. You go, what is going on here? Like, what does this mean? Why is it significant? And a question I always ask is, why has this story uh, been carried through for 2,000 years all the way to today? Like, why has this story survived so many years to make it into my Bible today. Here's something interesting uh, that Brian Zond brings up in his book, uh, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. He says that Moses and Elijah were kind of like the moon and the stars for the Jewish people, in that like they provided just enough light for the Jewish people to see and make their way through uh, the dark of the surrounding pagan world. Uh, Moses told them how to live, right? He gave them the commands. Elijah and the prophets called them out on their mistakes when they failed to obey those commands and spoke about their need for repentance and, and told the Jewish people how to move forward and how to change. But when Jesus came along, Zan says, he was kind of like the sun that eclipsed the moon and the stars and provided all the light and all the understanding necessary, uh, not merely by telling people how to live, but by modeling the very life and character and being of God, right? A life of love and grace uh, and forgiveness and radical inclusion. The kind of life that was ex- accessible to be lived by everyone everywhere. Uh, so to put it bluntly, I think that this episode in the Gospels of Jesus being transfigured, I think it's there to remind us that as much as we might think it is, and as much as tradition might have told us it is, the Old Testament, like the law and the prophets, is simply not on par with Jesus. Right? One more time. The Old Testament, the law, the prophets, is not on par with Jesus. They're just not on the same level. Uh, Zahn says in his book, and I think he's 1,000% right, he says that the Bible is not a flat text where every passage and every idea and every word carries the same weight, right? I think he's right. Like, it's just not. How can it be? And, and if you doubt that, or if that makes your, you know, the religious spirit in you kind of 
Twitch, just remember that the Bible itself shows us this when Jesus says things like, you have heard it said in the law and in the prophets and Moses and Elijah, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also, right? You have heard it said in the Old Testament, but I say to you. In other words, Moses and Elijah said that, but I tell you this. Jesus, the son challenged the many ideas of Moses and Elijah, the moon and the stars, and brought the brightest of all lights that would forever light the way of how to live as reflections of the divine on this earth, as people who bring a little bit of heaven to earth every single day with every single word we speak and every single action we make. And so with all of that said, here's the, here's the big point I want to make for you today. When it comes to the Bible, not Every passage is on an equal playing field, right? The words and the life of Jesus sit high above everything else. And therefore, the law, the prophets, the apostle Paul cannot be used in an effort to silence Jesus. Did you get that? Let me say it again. As Christians, we are not allowed to cite Moses, Elijah, Paul, or anybody else in an effort to shut Jesus up. We need to learn how to read the Bible from the perspective of Jesus in the Gospels, as opposed to trying to read the stories of Jesus in the Gospels from the perspective of the rest of the Bible. Why? Because Moses says that adulterers should be stoned. But remember when the Pharisees brought Jesus a woman who was caught in adultery, Jesus said that the person who had never sinned should throw the first stone, and then he sent that woman home. In other words, Moses was wrong, and Jesus was right. And Elijah called down fire from heaven on the prophets of Baal, right, the enemies of God. But when Jesus' disciples suggested that they do the same to the Samaritans, Jesus said no. Likewise, Elijah was wrong, and Jesus was right. In those, and there's other instances as well, uh, the sun eclipsed the moon and the stars, right? Where the law and the prophets emphasized an angry, vengeful spirit that originated in an angry, vengeful God, the Messiah declared that no such God existed, ever existed, or would ever exist. And therefore, such an angry and vengeful spirit needed to be bound and exercised out of this world so that room could be made for the loving, forgiving, and radically inclusive spirit of the creator of all things to come and make his home in you and me. This is my beloved son. Listen to him, God says. He doesn't say, listen to some of Moses, some of Elijah, some of Paul. He doesn't say, pick and choose from the three because they're all on equal ground. No, he says, listen to Jesus. And if the moon and the stars, the law and the prophets, Moses and Elijah say something that doesn't quite line up with the son, the Messiah, Jesus, then Jesus wins every single time. One of the things I'm most adamant about in this season of my life is the topic of hell, and I've made that no secret on, on Facebook. Um, I'll address it in a, in a few weeks on a little bit of a deeper level, but I really think we need to rethink how we read Jesus' words about hell, as well as what we do with other biblical references about hell. Because when I look at the life of Jesus, I like 100% do not see even as much of a hint of Jesus threatening to throw people into a place of eternal torture where they're excluded from God's table, written off, and all hope has been lost. In essence, I mean, that's what the doctrine of hell teaches, right? 
It says that hell is a place of eternal separation from God. It's a horrendous place of fire, demons, screaming, crying, pain, as person after person after person who hasn't believed the right things about Jesus is just relentlessly tossed to spend all of eternity there. I mean, throw whatever Bible verse you want at me, that's fine. But if I read that verse through the lens of the life of Jesus, something's got to give. Such a hopeless, vile interpretation of the verse doesn't work. I mean, Jesus says everyone is welcome. Everyone has a place and hope is never lost. And so, I mean, God forbid we ever quote a verse from the Old Testament or the New Testament or whatever in an effort to shut Jesus up. Uh, Jesus won't be shut up and Jesus won't be silenced. Uh, If something else in the Bible says something different than what Jesus's life has said, then it's wrong, Uh, plain and simple. Um, As Zahn says in his book, Jesus is what God has to say because Jesus is the face of God. And since Jesus lived a, a life of love and forgiveness, right up until his very last breath when he shouted forgiveness of his enemies from the cross, then that is who God is. That is what God has to say. Love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, open arms, and hope. Lots and lots of hope. We don't have the right as followers of the way, followers of the truth, followers of the life of Jesus, to quote Moses, Paul, Elijah, or anybody else in an effort to silence Jesus, to shut Jesus up, or to push his radical love away. We just don't have the right. Much love to you, my friends, and uh, I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.